But I think this movie is not my favorite either. Like, I think it's probably her weakest film. And, like, she didn't write it, which I think is really important. And I think it's the kind of film where the protagonist is the wrong person. Like, I think of Helen Hunt, where the main character, with, you know, Mel Gibson, like, as the antagonist's romantic lead. But, you know, if if it was seen through Helen Hunt's perspective, I think it'd be a lot better. Because I think she's a very interesting character who's kind of, like, moving up in the corporate world and finding that her ideas are being kind of stolen from or stolen by this guy and she doesn't understand how and i think that's really interesting and probably you know reflective of nancy meyer's career in some way as you know a woman working in hollywood so um but i just don't think this movie is kind of skewered in the right direction so i mean i I think it's a lot more interesting and I think there's a little bit more depth to it than I think people will give her credit for. I think they see the title, they see Mel Gibson, and they kind of, like, write it off as problematic. And the premise is a little problematic, I guess, but I think there's some there's some merit there to it. But, yeah, it's not, it's not the best film that she's done, by far. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are in our second episode of the month for the great Nancy Myers, and this episode we will be talking about what women want. So Mike, we're just gonna jump into this. I don't think there's a lot of necessity for like, oh, where are we at with Nancy Myers? We've only had one movie. We both loved it. It's a, it's a big love fest on this podcast. So you ended the last show talking about. I'm not sure I would have picked Mel Gibson. Uh, kind of leading into this kind of romantic comedy. and That's our... even back then, back in 2000. Yes, yes. Period. Not just now, not just because he's yeah. like a virulent racist and, you know, beats women and does terrible things. But even back then when he was charming, Mike's like, not interested. <laughs> so, you, we talked about in the introductory episode, one of the things I love about Nancy Myers is she knows her movie stars. She knows what, what people engage with as far as these actors. And... I think you may be negating how popular Mel Gibson was with women in the late 90s, early 2000s. So the only person, the only Hollywood star I ever heard my mother gush about, my mother listens to the show, hi mom, was Mel Gibson. Loved Mel Gibson in the 90s and early 2000s. And I think you need that kind of actor in a movie like this because if you have an actor people don't like... (laughs) He may be popular, but he's not, like, charming. If you have him play the character of Nick Marshall, I think the entire audience turns on this movie. You need someone that charming to pull this off. Because through most of the movie, especially, like, the first the first 30 minutes or so, like, he's horrible. And he treats everyone terribly. Like, he's the definition of a cad, right? So if you have someone not charming, this isn't going to work at all. So I think Mel Gibson, at this time, is perfectly cast here. I don't... I can't think of many other actors who are actually better suited for this role than Mel Gibson. Well, Tom Cruise. I don't think so. I think Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise at this time, trying to think what Tom Cruise was doing in 2000. Despite me. He almost did this part, like a a version of this part, uh, 
two, three years later, or no, maybe a year later, Shallow Hell was originally intended mm. to be Tom Cruise. And then it became a very different movie for the Fairley Brothers. I uh, think dudes like Tom Cruise more than women like Tom Cruise in, at this time. Uh, I don't know. Jerry Maguire, man. 96. Oh, that's, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, maybe. I think it would have been a, I mean, it would have been like a slight flip, right? Because like, uh, well, maybe not with Magnolia. Maybe maybe it would have been too like uh, him playing Frank T.J. Mackey, except the like funnier version. But would Tom Cruise look that good in control top pantyhose? I don't know. Tom Cruise would never do that well, because there's... of all the, you know, all the ridiculous accusations or his like, you know, like uh, that was a weird thing about uh, anytime I rewatch Eyes Wide Shut with the mm-hmm. the like homophobic uh, slurs, his direction, because his publicity team and him just like they don't want to touch mm-hmm. anything like in a, I don't know. That's actually the biggest thing I hold against Tom Cruise beyond the Scientology stuff. Uh, is like being like a middle schooler. Like, please don't call me gay. Like, right. you're fucking Tom Cruise. Who gives a shit? <laughs> right. Um, you're literally a billionaire, and everyone loves you. Just, it's fine. You know what? It should just just put Keanu Reeves in this movie, and then it would have saved us twenty years later. Like, it would have been like the internet's golden boy. Uh, and it would have also saved us from. Did you ever see a movie called Sweet November? Ugh, let's not talk about that. Um, Remember, he yes, plays an yes. ad, ad executive, and he has a pretty horrible <laughs> pitch in that film. Yeah, but I think I think that's the problem, right? Do you think someone like Keanu Reeves would be believable? Like, you have to have somebody who can play both. They could be charming, but you can also believe that they're a jerk. I have a hard time believing Keanu Reeves in a role where he's a womanizing jerk. But Mel Gibson, I totally buy it. The Gift, Domestic Violence. You know, I still haven't watched that. That is on my I, list to watch, but I still haven't watched that one. So before we get into, I guess, the film proper, uh, shout out to my mother. I don't think she listens to this, but just as a comparison uh, about our two moms, uh, <laughs> the only one that I remember her like going on about, like in a, a way that troubled me <laughs> as a young boy, <laughs> uh, was uh, uh, Mickey Rourke from either Diner or Nine and a Half Weeks Days. Oh, so early Mickey Rourke before he fucked up his face. Okay. She, uh, she I was a little worried for a second. I was like. Really? No, oh, not when early. he went into boxing. Okay. Uh, she uh, she went on and on during a Pulp Fiction when I I told her as a like a little you know child film nerd that the Bruce Willis part was intended for Mickey Rourke originally, and she's like, oh, how could you make a perfect movie better? Put Mickey Rourke in it. He should have played that part. Wow. <laughs> yep. Yep. Not a Bruce Willis fan, my mom. But <laughs> what women want? Uh, do you want to talk at all about Mel Gibson, or is that good enough with us talking about other men? I think. <laughs> It's funny. I think <laughs> I think this movie ages poorly in a number of ways. One of them just being that it's Mel Gibson. That's where you and I disagree, because I think it ages better because <laughs> he is this is a Diet Coke version. But what we know about him is like, OK, this is more in line with his actual like persona, more so than maybe people would have even wanted at the time that there's but, like a but by version. the end of the movie. Do you root for him then? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that I do. I mean, I I root for the character, and I certainly I remember seeing this when it came out, and I rooted I rooted for them to end up together then. But I watch it now, and I'm a little I'm a little more hesitant, both because of Mel Gibson and because like this movie puts a supernatural spin on this idea. But it's essentially the idea of a woman in business saying something at regular volume, and then some dude piping up from the back and yelling it louder and getting all the credit. Like this, they do through mind reading, but like watching it now, it's uncomfortable for me to watch. Like 
And hmm. and I don't feel like he ever gets enough punishment for that. Like when he finally tells her and finally apologizes for it, she's like, "Okay, you're fired." And then like 15 seconds later, he's forgiven and they're back together. Like I felt like that stuff should have come earlier and it, that should have been stretched out a little bit. My, my wife had a different reading on that cuz I was talking same thing. I'm like, "Well, they really sort of wrap up cuz we're we're jumping to like the the final minutes yeah. of the film with it, as far as that goes." Um and she, her take was that Helen Hunt does not believe his fucking nonsense, <laughs> like as far as how he got to that. So she just like ends it with him maintaining her professionalism because they're going to have a relationship. So mm. she's not going to give up like her position because she shouldn't have to. Yeah. But in this instance, the man actually has to give it up, like give up mm. his job to care of a relationship. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a but that like a he should, look. but he should. It's not like. I don't feel like it's one of those things like, oh, my God, he's giving it up out of the kindness of his own heart. Like he no, it's cheated taken from him. He cheated and lied and schemed like well, he deserves to lose his let's, job. Dave, Fine. let's let's not go too far in condemning the man because. <laughs> Thank God Mike is here to defend <laughs> the men and defend Mel Gibson. Thank, I love how we flipped our roles here. Finally. Well, you're, you're, you know, you're saying he cheated and manipulated um, he did uh, in, in the infamous, you know, I wish Tom Cruise would put on the pantyhose sequence, uh, nearly kill himself uh, in this electrocution. If movie only, accident. Mike, if only. <laughs> not Tom Cruise. You're not going to take Tom Cruise from me. Um, and then he suddenly can hear women's voices, uh, whether he wants to or not. And for the most part, from even most of the film, the beginning and the end, he doesn't want to hear them anymore. Like he doesn't want to hear them at the start. Um, and I had forgotten how much this movie is about emasculating this man. Um, because I, I, as I said, sitting there watching it with my wife and I'm thinking, Jesus, like imagine John Hamm's Don Draper. If he had access to people's like brains and what they were thinking, he would just totally be like, yes, I should have this mutant power because <laughs> yes. now I can use it. And I'm thinking, well, what is an advertising guy? I'm a marketing dude. Why does he think this is bad? Like this should, he should immediately be like, well, this is strange, but he shouldn't be freaked out by it. Until, by the grace of God, we have Marissa Tomei uh, and a very early look at her character from Crazy Stupid Love. A little bit. Having bad sex with Mel Gibson and thinking about how terrible it is. Lola, I'll only come up if you really want me to. I mean, I don't want you to do anything that you're not ready for. I can wait. Wow, he's got a great body. But, whoa! What's with the tongue? I'm gonna need the Heimlich maneuver. Thank you. Ooh. Ah, ah, ouch! That's right, they're attached. Oh, sorry. Oh, now we're talking. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Lied about the grande. <laughs> Would you mind if we had that light on, maybe? No, you can't the light on. Yeah, yeah it might help. <laughs> if it'll help. God, I hope he's better with the light on. <laughs> so all over the place. Just do it already so I can start faking it. And my I love that scene. scene. It's so See, good. that's why this guy doesn't want it, can't handle it. And what I like about it, I mean, other it than kills his you know, ego. Yeah. It's... Well, it's it's the first time he's ever considered the fact that he could be bad at sex. Like Or that women have thoughts, honestly. Like it's... Yeah, that's I, I think <laughs> I, I think you're uh, 
you're probably taking it to extreme. I, th- I, I think that Usually. your version of the character is actually doing him a service and like not thinking of them. I, I do think this is a guy that sees them as the enemy to a certain extent, mm-hmm. uh, something to be vanquished and conquered. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually think that Nancy Myers, you could have tr- trouble with this film and that I don't, yeah, she doesn't really condemn him that much. I do think she condemns Helen Hunt quite a bit. I think she's, she, really does not show any sort of favor uh, in her, you know, godlike perch on the director's chair. Because uh, there's a scene where, um, you know, Helen Hunt's character thinks, why didn't I speak up? Like, why Like why do I have any sort of reticence when this fucking idiot will say the first thing that comes to his mind? Because there's a sequence where he misuses his powers. Uh, I believe it's for, was it Advil or aspirin or something? Yeah, it was a headache medicine for sure. Yeah. So a woman just thinks to herself a joke like, you know, like I use all the time to fake a headache, like so I can get out of sex with my husband. And he takes that and he's like, that's fucking genius. (laughs) I'm going to run. Women really do be like that. That's (laughs) really like just Mel, just just stop it. But I think you bring up actually a really interesting point. It's something that bothered me as I was watching it this time. And I don't remember it bothering me when I watched it probably 20 fucking years ago is that you know in the beginning you can understand why he doesn't want this power like it's overwhelming he's actually not that interested in what women are thinking but then you know throughout the rest of basically the rest of the movie it is seen as very much a positive thing right and he he gains a lot of favor for it he ends up becoming a sex god to marissa tomei what man doesn't want that and then when the power is removed he's grateful and i'm wondering why Like, actually, your life is a thousand times better with this ability. And not just in a, I can move up in the world financially, but just like, as a human being, you Mm. were a better person with this. Why are you so happy that it's gone? And I feel like the film doesn't do the work to show us why he should be happy in that moment. I think my reading of the film is because it seems like Nancy Myers is saying that you should have maybe an unhealthy interest in the courtship stages. Like, cause that's what movies present to us mm-hmm. is that, that the way to like, if only I could know what they want or could say the perfect thing, like a movie, mm-hmm. then my life would be so much easier. But what it's would do a total disservice to and really get in the way. Like you have the funny sequence, the bad sex with Marissa Tomei, but there, there could be no true intimacy if you actually had a one-on-one relationship, a connection with another human being. Because there, there has to be a sense of discovery on this person that you're going to choose to like give it all up for, and whatever that, you know, giving it is. In this case, it's like two, like Mad Men. It's two people like the center of the universe. <laughs> Many movies have marketing jobs, whatever. It's like that's it. They live at the office. So if he's giving that up, he has to be. He has to still need like there's that need to like figure out your partner in some way. And so if he if he if he just knows what she's thinking, uh, that's just I don't imagine that's gonna work for either one of them. I think he's gonna lose interest in her again. And this is the first woman that he's like genuinely had any interest in to not see is just like if I could just know what to say just to get out of this situation. Cause he wants to stay involved with her. So I I think at the end it's bad. I, I'll 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 disagree with you there. At the beginning though. Yeah, he should be like a Marvel supervillain. Like they, you know, his fucking brain explodes and grows like five times the size, and he has like a misshapen head. And somehow those guys are all always like two steps like away from like, oh, this is terrible. Wait a minute, this is great. But poor Mel here, he can't figure it out for like thirty minutes of runtime. Yeah, and I think I think you bring up 
probably my biggest problem with the movie. That's what I'm here for. Yes, that's that is what you're really good for, honestly. Uh is putting words to things that I despise. Is that it makes it hard for me to root for them at the end of the movie because I feel like he cheated at the beginning. Where you have all these sequences where they're talking and he's kind of filling in the blanks for her and she's like, God, I just feel like you really understand me and we're really, you know, we're really well matched and this is fantastic. Like, yeah, of course, because he can hear every thought in your head. So by the time they're together at the end of the movie, I'm kind of like, but are they really well matched? Do you think this is a relationship that lasts? Or was he only that good of a partner for her in the beginning because he could hear what she was thinking? That's what that goes back to. Or am I uh, thinking about this too much? I don't. I don't know. No, <laughs> no, no. You can't say that about any Nancy Myers joint, like at all. Like, um, I, I think that that's why I said, like, not only in the professional but even the personal, why Nancy Myers is being harder, being tougher on her, you know, either a female stand-in for like a younger version of herself, or maybe other women she's friends with. I think she's much rougher with the Helen Hunt character. Mm-hmm. I think she could, <laughs> you know. Give or take Mel Gibson and his nonsense. He's there to wear the pantyhose and to fall on his face and nearly kill himself. And, you know, you have some shenanigans with him. Um, I think she's far more interested, like, in all the the women characters, but she doesn't let them off the hook. You know, she, Marissa Tomei, like, is like, like, what she's thinking there is, like, basically this guy who, you know, the one night stand that she started the relationship saying, you know, please don't hurt me. Um they have sex and she comes there not looking to, you know, figure out like how she misread this guy or maybe how she misrepresented herself. She just wants him to say, just say the thing that will placate her, which is like, well, if you're gay, then I can accept it. Like, and and it, you hear in her head saying just like, you know, please, 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 like, you know, please let this not go wrong. So she's playing from a defensive position. So I think Nancy Myers, like the, her look at women here is she's like, basically shouting at all the characters to like play with the confidence that they should have. Like Mel Gibson's the character that should have no confidence for whatever reason. He's just fallen into this like great job and these people that despise him. Like he doesn't realize how many people like have knives, like ready to stab in his back and he's just a fucking idiot. But these smart, capable women act as if like everything's stacked against them when really it's just totally like, it's totally if they just flip the switch then they, mm-hmm. they have total control of this. I mean, the only, I actually think the only time that there's any sort of decency and maybe some like legitimate, like connections made from the Mel Gibson point of view is when he just becomes one of the girls in the, uh, I really, in the break room. Sequence. Yeah. Because there's, there's actually nothing he's trying to gain there other than like, I wish people liked me and why don't people like me? And it's like, Oh, it's because I don't actually listen to them or care about their lives. So maybe if I just shut up for once, and listen and like when he ends that sequence he's like turns around like this was actually fun this was nice (laughs) yeah yeah i actually really like that sequence sequence because you know you know that probably he's still using this you know mutant power he's got going but really what he's doing is listening to them and basically repeating back what they've said you know when he's talking about her husband he's kind of giving her advice it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like he's doing it to gain an advantage it just feels like he's being a friend to a woman, which is probably the first time that Nick Marshall has done this in his entire life without any sort of, you know, any sort of motive to it. It's just like, I want to I want to help, you know, and I think you see that in that relationship. 
and you see it somewhat in his relationship with his daughter. Um, so what did you think of that relationship, by the way, those those scenes? Did you feel like that was more padding than this movie needed? Or did it feel like, oh, no, this works and you have to have that for him to have more relationships with women, not just the one he wants to sleep with? I mean, you remove it from a uh, professional setting for one, but two, I think, um, I think the, the daughter character is there to say that no, he's he's a he's a he's a true jackass through and through. Like it's not just that he's like lost this like promotion that he thinks he deserved, uh, or he's like trying to manipulate his way into like the the hearts of women just a better. No, he um, even if you know him for you know what is she fifteen at this point. Mm-hmm. 15 years solid. He's been staying the course at being a dickhead. Mm-hmm. I think that's the sort of like, if you, if you think he's just going through a moment in his life, that's the character saying, no, this is, this is who he is. So this is, I think it's important. I mean, it's you, you get a little bit of the shoes on the other foot as far as maybe his view of, of women as things to like collect and then dispose of, uh, because you get to that, pretty like typical that sort of tropey like the, the high school prom like the older boyfriend that just wants to like take advantage or you know it was clearly there just for like the one reason to sleep with this young girl um but you know i i, I like the father-daughter moment like with with him but yet again it's like the uh the break room sequence where it's like if he just he just basically needs to be told to shut up like mm-hmm. that's he just especially movie star characters you don't often see mel gibson say if this is like his peak or like during his peak time period, see your male lead told to like, just be quiet, be quiet mm-hmm. and just like let other characters talk. I also like kind of the imperfection of that relationship. Like just, it's the idea. It's similar to that, that sequence you were talking about where he takes that woman's idea and it doesn't work out for him. Like just because you know what she's thinking and you know what she's planning to do doesn't mean you can fix it. Sometimes like if you have spent 15 years being a complete jackass, you don't necessarily get to have the talk with your daughter and everything's going to turn out okay. You might still end up looking like a fool. And I like that after that sequence, when she storms off, you get also the thoughts of these other women, most of them saying, what a fucking idiot. Like, why would he think that would work? There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of people in that diner really, really like, listen. But, but then again, he's at like, he's at like a, a diner bench with a bunch of other people. It's like, is now the time to have the talk, Mel? Maybe you should wait till you go back to the the apartment and have that discussion. Like maybe don't have that over over dinner. That's maybe not the best time. So I like that even though he has this power, he's still kind of a fuck up and he still screws up. It's not just about, well, if I knew what they were thinking, everything would be just fine. Like, no, he still has to be a human being and he still has to interact with people more than once to have this perfect interaction. So I like I like that it doesn't, you mentioned the the movie not easing up on its female characters. I think it also doesn't ease up on Nick. I think it would be very easy for him to be like, this This fixes everything except for this one relationship. But kind of with all these women, it's still not without its its landmines. Like he still has trouble with these interactions because he's been kind of a jerk for most of his life. Yeah, I mean, there's one, I mean, I guess the biggest victory if you want to call it that is the judy greer character who has suicidal thoughts which 
I think I, I like that the way the film resolves that and that there's not like a I thought it George was gonna Clooney go in the rain uh, right. ER moment where he's like, you know, he's he saved another life. Like he came yeah. in just in the catches her like, and he, she jumps like, yeah, that's and that's it feels like that's where it's headed in the whole movie because it's been a long time since I've seen this. The whole movie, I'm like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. I do not want well, you're thinking, please don't kill judy greer and don't have mel gibson saving her (laughs) yeah either one like and don't make it so i like the fact that that sequence when he goes to her house that she was like i was just sick like what are you doing at my well he's the weird person in the room right he's not a hero he's he's someone's like what the fuck are you doing he's the stalker who showed up at aaron the file girl's house like how did you get my address like why are you here i like that i i mean let's be honest i'd probably stalk judy greer too given the options here in this in this film <laughs> and i'm not the only one dave i know you would too i don't even know how to respond to that sentence mike i like judy greer like, i do to... too let's go with that let's go with i like judy greer it's it's another example and there are many it's pretty much every movie judy greer is in it's just like i would like her to be more of a main character like she's really funny here and she also portrays that depression and that sadness very well um and i like the fact that it puts forth this idea that just because someone is depressed and at least mildly suicidal doesn't mean every time they don't show up for work it doesn't mean they're going to kill themselves like depressed people also call in sick to work and then come back the next day but you also understand why mel's character is is freaked out because he's heard these thoughts of like if i just disappeared no one would even notice so you get why he's freaked out, but I like the fact that it doesn't make him a hero, and it just well, makes him also, the freak. You know, he's still kind of a caveman, you know. He's not he's not trained. No, his no, don't do it <laughs> to uh, to be able to deal with th- those type of uh, connections with another human being. Uh, the most he can do, uh, Sarah Paulson's character, maybe he, maybe he can just he can speak from experience as far as the male perspective. Of like no no here's how you handle this guy like I know because yep. we're we're simple creatures like <laughs> like you said at the the top of the show like don't watch the one with Traj B Henson because uh, I have to have Mel Gibson in these type of films I yes, can't have her exactly right but another you know another actress that I always wish there was more of Sarah Paulson I was shocked to see that she was in this movie because I think probably when I saw this I had no idea who she was and now she's of course much more of a name but also one of those actresses that i feel is like underused especially in big hollywood movies so it was nice to see her and i like you know i think it also gives mel gibson a very easy way to endear himself to the audience very quickly after he gets these powers like when even when she's not in the room he defends her to his co-worker says like well i'll have you know she went to an ivy league college because that's still in his head from her screaming thoughts at him so i like that you know I like that it makes Mel a a better guy pretty quickly, but not in these drastic ways. It's not, again, it's not him being a hero. It's just him for one minute going, hey, dude, actually, she's really, she's really smart and really capable. Anyway, let's move on. Even though the other guy is like, okay, you're crazy. Uh, I don't know what's going on with you. You've lost your mind. (laughs) But it allows, it allows Nick to be someone we kind of like, like he makes those I think it'd be easy to make these drastic turns. And I like the fact that the script makes a lot of small changes along the way. So it feels realistic when he's becoming a better person throughout the movie. It sounds like you love this movie. I, you know, I like it. It's an enjoyable movie. I think there are some parts of it that don't age as well. I feel like 
things could have been wrapped up in a more extended way um, that made me want to root for them. It, like the ending of the movie does does kind of sting a little bit. I do feel like she forgives him too soon. And this is always a challenge with romantic comedies where you have that breakup after the meet cute, you have that breakup and you got to have them come back together in some way. And if it feels unearned and it feels like she or he shouldn't forgive the other person that soon, it does kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I did have that on this watch. It's kind of the only bit of the movie that I don't like is how it wraps up, which is unfortunate because that's kind of what you walk away from the movie with. It's like, she probably just should have fired him and let him walk down the stairs. Like, So you were hoping like I was that Helen Hunt gets her job back and then Mel Gibson goes on his first date with Judy Greer. Yeah, that works for me. Let's do that. I like that. Jesus, you you like it's like you're throwing your hands up, like you you need your fainting couch. And I said <laughs> I wanted to stalk Judy Greer. I was like, goodness, what was, what did I say? Something that was wrong here? Uh, we like Judy Greer. What's wrong I just, with that? I'm just I don't I'm just curious at how you equate you equated stalking with like I'll stalk the hottest one. I'll stalk the one I like the most, which I guess is true, but just feels I didn't say the hottest one. Like just, it just feels icky. Is all I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you phrase it the way you want. I want to see more of that Judy Greer, okay. and I'm like, geez, I'm I'm the wrong one here. My goodness. I didn't say I want to see more of her as I'm <laughs> hiding in the bushes, stalking her. <laughs> Jesus, Mike. <laughs> All right. So strangely, uh, what women want a step down from the parent trap. Who knew? Yeah. Let's... For me, the it's the um, what's not executed that well. I I mean, I came in thinking like, okay, this is gonna be. As the kids say, problematic, but uh, I didn't really, th- I didn't really think so. Uh, it was the comedy. The, the comedy was far more effective for me uh, with two kids um, than it was here. Like I, I think that the uh, Mel Gibson being put through the ringer stuff um, when it's played for like broad comedy, I think kind of whiffs for me. Mm. But when it's a series of like small defeats for him. That's when I'm sort of chuckling, but I don't know if that's like what they expected, like a theater going crowd to like be like reveling in. I think they I I remember like the one thing before the rewatch was that trailer moment with him, like singing along to that bitch song from the late 90s. Yeah. Meredith Brooks. Yep. God bless. It's a lot. And it's a it's a kind of a repeated joke. But this movie, this movie did numbers, man. It was huge. 70 million, 70 million dollar budget made almost 200 million. That's that's, that's just domestically bad. worldwide it was three seventy five. Yeah, so this movie Can I you think imagine that for for a romantic comedy like during the Christmas season, like it's just basically a two hander. It's just Helen Hunt, Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. and he can hear her thoughts. And simpler that being times, that big Mike. Movie. Simpler times when romantic comedies did serious, serious business. Like I think we were better off then, Mike. You know, uh, <laughs> I was about to say something horrible, and but it's totally true. Like this is pre nine eleven, and um, I mean, yeah, that, you see it in the movies too. You see it as far as what you know. They feel like okay, we can comfortably put on screen, and yeah, this was a time period of uh, a lighter touch here. Yep. Yeah. Thankfully, though, Nancy Myers continued to give us uh, give us that. She did. So speaking of that, uh, the next movie we're going to cover is Something's Got to Give, a movie I have not seen. So shockingly, this does feel like a movie I should have seen. So. Talking to someone who'd never seen something's got to give, what can I expect? You know, coming off of what women want, and now we're moving into, I guess, a different age demographic as far as our stars. 
So what can I expect out of Something's Gotta Give? This was, I saw this in theaters, and it was the most shameful theater-going experience I ever had at the movies. That is an exciting tease. (laughs) That is a tease. I like it. Okay, so that's the next movie we're going to cover. In the meantime, if you'd like more of our show, of course, we have... You know other directors that we have covered so feel free to find us on Apple, Apple, Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Directed by Pod and donate to our show uh, to our Patreon at patreon.com slash a podcast directed by Pod.